racism that I've experienced in my youth, it was definitely there, but I don't want to make it seem like it was black on white. It was, I would say it's almost the same racism America's experiencing on the whole of liberal on people who happen to be white or not them. You know, because for some people, uh, their view is that anything that gets, this is a view of an extremist, by the way, anything that gets their system into place is good because in the end, those people in country X will start living better. Led into the wars of the 1900s, liberalism, communism, and fascism. Uh, to be honest, they were all, were, are uh, all anti-Christian in a way. So uh, that shouldn't be surprising, but uh, the church didn't see it coming because he wanted to burn Russia like fuel to create a world fire, to create a world revolution. He did not care how many people here had to die, how much Russia had to be destroyed. He had this globalist mission. I'm sure there are plenty of them who see the United States as firewood. If you have not been looking at C60 as a means to significantly improve your health and your immunities, you should be. Here's why. First, a strong and healthy immune system is your body's first defense. And for those with a strong immune system, your body will adequately fight illnesses without medical intervention. Second, C60 is safe. As long as you're taking a high quality C60 with no added fillers or solvents. Third, C60 is the best means of removing free radicals from your body that exist. It's at least 200 times better at this function than vitamin C and any other antioxidant. This is the magic. When you free up your body's resources from fighting free radicals, they then can focus their attention on healing. Every person has different needs, but the magic begins when your body can start to heal. So now it becomes clear, you need the best free radical fighter that exists, and that is C60 with black seed oil and curcumin. Go to sarahwestel.com shop and learn more about why this formula is so powerful. Also available by diffuser with ultra, ultra refined C60 oil to safely get directly into your lungs. It's also the best way to help your family pets by just being in the same room. Be sure to read the research and of course, use the current coupons to save money when you buy. Remember, keeping you and your family safe is the most important thing you can do. Okay, well, how does religion then, Christianity, affect Russian culture right now? Is it almost like what the U.S. was in the 50s? But, because we were very much a Christian nation for many decades, and right now we're seeing this attack on Christianity. Is, was, how is it over there? Oh, let's see. Well, I can tell you one thing, is that now we have uh, in Russia... Uh, there's a theology class at school, so my daughter gets to hear about the saints uh, and all that. Unfortunately, she doesn't like it, um, but uh, if she's my daughter, uh, she'll have a change of heart around 25 or 27 years old about religion. Uh, so, <laughs> Too bad. But uh, and also, and also, I can imagine that it's probably not taught with uh, a lot of zeal sure, or good explanations, yeah. as a lot of things are in Russia. The Russians are not very good at explaining themselves. Uh, but so we have we do discuss religion in school. During the constitutional referendum, the majority voted for uh, a big, long list of uh, changes for the Russian Constitution. But one of them was to mention God. So now God's part of the Constitution. Uh, another thing uh, about Russia, that about religion, is there are essentially five traditional religions 
uh, within Russia that get a special status and other religions, all the other religions do not. Those five would be Eastern Orthodox Christianity. Uh, I believe the term is Sufi Islam, the local Islam uh, from the more northern uh, parts of the world. Uh, a type of Buddhism that you see in uh, sort of the middle south uh, part of uh, Russia. Shamanism uh, as well, and uh, Judaism. So those are the religions that essentially get to get those nice government grants, government mm -hmm. protection. Their, uh, you know, uh, religious buildings are considered to be sacred and something that needs to be kept in good repair and all that. And other religions, uh, oh, really? not so much. In the U.S., you can just define yourself as a religion and you get the protection. Whereas there, they're, they're not as liberal, if you will, on that. Uh, no, and that's one of the things where Russia is going to be diverging uh, in a lot of ways from the liberal world. There's this term called illiberalism that uh, Viktor Orban in Hungary came up with because he wants to see a society that does have these sort of more greater cultural goals without stamping to death on the uh, Bill of Rights or the equivalent in Hungary, right? And uh, I think that that's kind of where we're headed in, in Russia because no one's taken away the Bill of Rights. But if you want to get that government support, you kind of have to be the big five. Now, why those five religions? Because those are the major religions of the major ethnic groups sure. within Russia. If Russia were to say uh, Finland used to be a part of Russia, okay, for a brief bit of time. So let's just say tomorrow Finland is, gets sick of being part of the West and they're like, oh, uh, we want to come home. We're going to be part of Russia. Well, they would have to create a whole new dialogue because they're Protestant, uh, you know. And so that would have to add Protestantism as maybe of their particular form, perhaps to the list. It would be it would kind of actually kind of cause a big issue here because only a few years ago, only five or seven years ago, for a long time, shamanism wasn't there. But there are a lot of uh, people who are sort of uh, shamanist, uh, animist uh, out in uh, like the wilds of Siberia and um, uh, like um, in the uh, Republic of Altai. That's sort of the dominant religion with Christianity being number two, uh, Eastern Orthodox Christianity. And so out there, you know, those people kind of felt like, hey, you know, the other religions are getting uh, protection just because our religion looks different. And we have, you know, uh, drums and uh, what are those things called? Tambourines mm -hmm. and smoke and crazy costumes. It's like, hey, we're part of Russia, too. Why can't we be, in, you know, why don't we get any protection? So they got that. The other side to that is then that because Russia defends the religion, traditional religions, it means the religions that are not traditional, well, you're on your own. Uh, you're on your own, and uh, uh, good luck. Uh, because there was supposed to be some sort of giant Hindu temple built here that got the axe. Uh, the Scientologists have gotten the boot. Wow. Uh, there's a huge yeah. Scientology center that's uh, completely dark on the inside that's just down the metro line from where I live, the metro being the subway. So, like, you Well, know, Hinduism is big, so I'm surprised that they... You know, but it's not one of the traditional religions, so that got that got the no-no from the government. Uh, and the uh, Jehovah's Witnesses—I uh, hope that's not your particular faith of Protestantism. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses have been accused of and sort of convicted of rabble-rousing too much, and so uh, they have been considered uh, declared extremists, and so uh, they're no longer uh, welcome here. For example, that's very interesting. You know, there is some parallels between Russia and China. China's behind in the development compared to Russia because during around the same time, 1917, I don't remember the exact time when uh, China was overthrown, the empire was overthrown and they were forced into communism as well. Mm -hmm. 
and just like uh, Russia was. So when they when you talk about it being foreign people coming in, a lot of people say it's the Bolsheviks and this globalist group that came yeah. in and took over China and Russia at the same time. It was that the backing of both of that was the same people. Well, yeah. And, well, if you think about it, well, you know, the, the Tsar knew that Lenin was trouble, okay? And Lenin, uh, I don't know what you, I guess you'd want to call it like a warrant, was out for his arrest for a long time. Well, where did Lenin spend all, spend all of his years in exile? I do believe he spent some time at the sort of edge of the empire in Finland, but he also spent a lot of time in Germany and I believe some time in London. Mm -hmm. And where has, did Alec, like, for example, where did Alexei Navalny come back from when he came to Russia to get arrested? Uh, from Germany. So in Russia, that was a big thing. That was like history absolutely repeating itself because there's the famous uh, where Lenin came. He was like a, in an, a closed off, you know, like they, um, what's that called? Boarded up. They boarded up a boxcar and sent him from Germany back here, uh, I think at some point uh, during World War One. I. I don't quite know the mechanics of that because, you know, the Eastern Front was the Eastern Front, but that's sort of the mythology of things, right? So let's not get into the specifics. But the West did allow... Lenin, this uh, communist revolutionary fiery guy, uh, to uh, prance around London yeah. and Germany and all that, and no repercussions. I think they were behind it. You know, that's what people. That's the theory of the Bolsheviks taking over, and now the Bolsheviks are here screwing around with us. But it's the color revolution, which you are very, the Russians are very educated on. That's what's happening here, yeah. and it's very scary because that the end of that is a lot of people dying. And um, oh, yeah. I just don't want to see that here. And that could very much happen. It happened in China. It happened in Russia. It could happen yeah. here if they play that same playbook. So why do you love Russia so much? Because you've been there. You've been living there. What is what is that, oh. your fascination with it? Well, it's because that's where, like I was mentioned at the beginning of the, the interview there about not really having an identity. Well, my ancestors came from Eastern Europe. And... Uh, when I came back here, I went to visit my cousins in Poland. Uh, half of my family's in Poland. Well, now they're working as a migrant labor in the United Kingdom, but at one time they were all in Poland, right? And uh, after I went to visit there, it blew my mind. Uh, the amount of freedom you have, the amount of uh, no one caring what you do, uh, I don't know, it just really blew my mind. I was like, wow. I, I, in Poland, I felt like I was a, a real man, out here on the front, you, you know, feel more free. And when I went back to America, I was like, man, I'm a nobody, nothing. And uh, later, I had the opportunity to serve in uh, Kazakhstan in the Peace Corps. I took it. Kazakhstan it was a, is a former part of Russia, which uh, that's one of those big things about the breakup of Russia. Uh, that's a that's a very big question we could get into. But so, anyways, I absolutely loved life there, despite the fact that I was totally broke and living in the middle of nowhere. Uh, my life, my uh, self, my soul. Uh, everything really found in the fell into place. I found Orthodox Christianity. Well, I wasn't quite ready to truly embrace it until maybe a little bit later. Uh, I don't know. It just was. It was just like this is a fit. The the, the puzzle wow. piece fell okay. and it uh, fell in line. And uh, let's just roll with this, you know. So, or do you think you're more free there? Well, again, freedom depends on what you want because there's all sorts of Russians who always write me all the time, and they always will ask me questions like, "Well, where is it better to live, America or Russia?" It depends what you want. You know what I mean? Like, if you want, for, for a lot of Russians, they don't like how in Russia there's a lot of, it's called pofigism, which means, like, not giving a damnism, if we could translate it right, of people here don't care. 
What do you mean people don't care? What don't they care about? Ah, a dog takes a crap in the park. Someone throws a can on the ground. Okay. No one cares. Okay. That's okay. Sort of like this sort of whatever attitude towards things. Like, you know, the road's beat up. We should fix it. Ah, do it eventually. Now, that sounds awful to a lot of people, but there's an incredible amount of freedom in that. Because what happens is, 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 is for a lot of your listeners might be libertarians. Uh, so I call Russia... Uh, accidentally or incidentally libertarian because when no one cares you just do whatever you want can you imagine as someone in the united states i remodeled the house i bought myself and i didn't have to ask the government one question oh geez so there's a Not lot more freedom there there's a lot of trade-offs but you're a lot more free in everyday yeah, and, stuff and uh basically where the house that i own well, now I own two. One's a junker that's got to be... The other one's a real junker if the first one was bad. Um, so now I own two. This is basically the equivalent... You know, New York City is the, the sort of real big money-making city in America. Maybe L.A., but we'll just say New York. Now, uh, there's a little town called Poughkeepsie, New York. And I think it's about an hour drive if there wasn't any traffic to get to downtown New York, roughly. And uh, look at... Uh, put it this way. I can't imagine how much taxes you have to pay in Poughkeepsie, oh, New York. Probably thousands of dollars. Last year, I paid eight. That's my property tax. Eight dollars. And it's the same distance. Equivalent. Under under communism, yeah. were you less free? Depends who you ask. Uh, this is one thing where I think if you are... If right now, say some of your listeners have maybe taken... Um, they've had some trouble in life. And they're like a gas station cashier... They probably actually would feel a lot more freedom under communism because their salary would be a lower middle class, middle class salary. They'd be able to have kids on that salary. They wouldn't have to particularly worry too much about anything medical related. Uh, they'd have a guaranteed amount of vacation and they'd kind of be able to have the sort of life that everybody else has. But if you're someone like me who works in a creative field, I cannot uh, imagine trying to get anything yeah, done I, in the Soviet yeah, Union. Like, yeah. I they did make movies. How how could you just just the video games? Here we go. There's this a cool thing where everyone should visit in both Moscow and Saint Petersburg, the uh, Museum of Soviet Arcade Machines. It's awesome. There were Soviet arcade games, including mm -hmm. you know real uh, like computer games. You know, like uh, Mario with the Donkey Kong or whatever, right? Those actually came from the military, and how someone was able to convince the military that this needed to be done to dedicate their programmers to it, I don't know. But it was some kind of miracle. But the end result is they didn't make that many video games. Uh, and so if you're in a creative profession or you're an entrepreneur or you just— Like um, me. I would find it, I would find I, it incredibly stifling. I would be in— Hell, literally, if I was in a communist environment. Yeah, because as a like as a journalist, so okay, you're gonna have to to be a journalist. You can't just do it. You have to graduate some sort of university to get a diploma that says I am a journalist. Then you have to join the union of journalists and be a good girl or good boy in my case, good girl in your case, uh, and behave yourselves, uh, behave ourselves, and you know, uh, maintain some sort of journalistic standard of the time, which basically means. Yeah, kind of keep keep the app shut. You know what I mean? And that's... Be part of the propaganda machine, which is what we're seeing in the United States now. We have two journal We have two camps. We have the independent journalists like me, who actually is starting to gain a lot more respect because we're not propaganda. Yeah. 
And then you have the propaganda machine. I would think Pravda was the official propaganda machine. And then, you know, I've talked to like John Dugan, who's over there. He's like, we have two right now. We have Pravda, who's the propaganda machine. And then we have the independent journalists and those are independent media and it's more professional and you got both, but the independent media is really strong. Well, yeah. Well, just to be clear, Pravda is dead. Oh, good. Basically, the, the the whole Pravda thing is is basically dead. But what he, I think what he meant is there is are there are, there's federally funded uh, um, media, and it is a big mixed bag. Um, within the federally funded bu- budget, we have our weird liberals trying to make reality shows. You have uh, probably some people like me who have their own uh, views on things, and uh, so it's sort of a mixed bag. But uh, uh, there's definitely a total freedom to make your own independent media. So yeah, during the Soviet Union, one of the things that even collapsed it was there was no ability to make change. There's no ability to discuss yes. anything. And that's the scary part about this whole uh, cancel yes. culture thing. Because that's what was one of the big uh, nails of the coffin for the Soviet Union is they could not discuss anything. You could not make change. You just had to kind of shut up and go along with things. And that doesn't work when there's problems. And that's what's happening now you know? in the United States. Just like you're saying, yeah. you can't address power with truth so that you can change before the the train goes off the tracks or goes 100 miles an hour into a wall. You can't tell yeah. the people the truth. And so you're just watching this slow motion destruction. Um, and yeah. that's what's happening here in the United States. And yeah, and the problem is, is there's this phenomenon that I didn't create this name. It's called glass-hearted patriotism because, you know, glass is really hard on the outside, but if you really just kind of hit it right, it explodes. And so it's the glass-hearted patriotism where, you know, this happened in the Soviet Union and it's kind of happening uh, in America and it happens in other countries where people don't understand that constructive criticism helps. You know, if you go, if someone just goes, ah, Americans are fat, that's not, that doesn't help. But we can all both agree Come on, there, there is there is a problem with the food in America. We gotta we gotta up the game. We gotta get our health back in order. And that's not an insult. That's constructive criticism. You can see the difference, right? But there's a very large percent of the population that, for some reason, just simply they they just don't get it. They cannot take criticism, and I think that's just part of the human experience. And that's why there's going to be this eternal battle to always prove that constructive criticism is good for society. Well, but there's freedom of speech and they're trampling on the freedom of speech issue that is part of our constitution and they're canceling people that they don't agree with. And for some reason, the fringe is in charge right now and doing the canceling. They're very fringe and they're screwing everything up and they're hurting a lot of people, including themselves. But it could be, Uh, it could be like what you were saying the fire, what, what was the quote by Strotsky? Oh, uh, Trotsky, by uh, Trotsky, it is uh, that uh, Russia would be the firewood of revolution. Yeah. yeah, so Trotsky said that. I think that's what could be happening here. I mean, I, I, I really think that we're in, in for one hell of a, you know, decade here. And Well, yeah, well, if you think about it, uh, I, I don't mean to be kind of a, a, a jerk, but the United States has a, a budget of uh, the government, what is it, $4 trillion a year? And I mean, people in the United States live pretty good. Let's also, let's not get into this fantasy where, uh, you know, in America, everything's horrible and bad. No, it's not. You know, people live, they have houses. And, you know, the overwhelming, overwhelming majority of people aren't living outside or, you know, so things are, things are. Our poor, our poverty yeah, lives good. better than, you know, lives like an average yeah. person in another country. Yes. Yeah. And I'm sure people in medieval times would be like, uh, guys, you've got uh, nothing to complain about here. 
So things aren't that bad. But you, when you think about how much money the U.S. government has and how much we get out of it, and then we're also expected to pay these ridiculous, you know, hospital bills and uh, pay for the pay these ridiculous property taxes, thousands of dollars. Uh, pay for this, pay for this insurance, that insurance. Uh, because if you add up, I've done it before for, for Russian TV, is if you add up like the basic costs of uh, a mortgage, car insurance, health insurance, you know, for a family, that average uh, American salary of $56,000 a year, which is, sounds really great, it boils down almost to negative and sometimes even into negative yes. numbers. And that's ridiculous. It's just... Uh, there are huge problems budget-wise in America. The money, the, America's massive, insane wealth is not going anywhere near where it needs to. Uh, Russia is also a pretty decently wealthy country, but it is also here not exactly going where it needs to. Sometimes I think Russia does a bit of a better job about it uh, than America does, but I would say we are very, 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 very far from being a uh, global leader in making sure tax money is used effectively. But, um, Tim, that's exactly why... It scares the hell out of me to have globalists or anybody in charge of the money because all they do is take care of themselves. Yeah. They take care of their own and screw everybody else. Yeah. They The propaganda can be all day long on how much they care, but actions through all history shows that they don't give a shit about the people and it will not trickle down. I don't care who you are, what you are, and the Democrats are worse at it because if you look at their cities, it's really bad. Yeah. The poverty is... Oh, yeah. Uh, you just have to look at what the outcomes are. And I, I don't care. That's why it scares the hell out of me what these globalists want to do. So all they're going to do is take care of themselves and their own and everybody else is going to be poor because that's how it's happened yeah. all through history. That's the way people are. Well, to a, to, to a great degree, and that's, again, this whole thing about tribalism is in a lot of ways, the sort of wealthy elite really sees itself as being different and separate. And I can tell you, growing up, again, in the, what people in Cleveland would refer to as the ghetto, um, you can see that these people are completely detached from the reality that we grew up in, and they want to help us, but they have no idea what the actual problem is. No one, uh, I'll put it this way, I can tell you for sure, well, let's, if we could do some sort of survey, Black people in Cleveland do not care about word usage. They don't care about some stupid expression or it's some maybe some packaging of some pro a product somehow reminds them of something from the past. They want high-earning jobs. They want to be part of the middle class and have nice stuff and have a nice uh, health care system and live comfortable lives, yeah, like, like everybody else. And so that's the thing is they're yeah. people. And so what these, they don't care if the milk carton has anchovies on it or whatever. That's yeah. so stupid. Yeah. No, no one has, no one has ever, I've never heard anyone back, uh, back when I was in school, never mentioned that. And also another thing too, about why I use the word black is because black people refer to themselves as black. Yeah. And that's fine. Like, even like the whole thing with the African-American thing, sometimes formally you'll hear that, but generally they don't even call themselves that. So why are we doing this? It's not helping. Helping was giving a, a black guy the opportunity to earn $30, $40, $50 an hour. That helps. It's the rich white people telling us what we got to do for the black people. Yeah, that's exactly it. They're completely, they're completely detached. And the other problem is they see a lot of times uh, ethnic minorities as almost being like um, innocent, helpless yes. children. Because all the way they want to help is never by 
looking at other people as being uh, yes. sort of equals, right? Because if you look at Africa or something, because first off, Africa is not nearly as poor as it used to be. Uh, take a look, go with the Google Maps, take a look around the capital city of Rwanda. Uh, oh, I forgot what it's called. Kiragi, Kiragi. Oh, no. Uh, Kiragi, the okay, capital yeah, city of Rwanda, yeah. biggest city. Uh, take a look around there on Google, on the, your Google map. Not that poor. A lot of places in Africa, not that poor. But they can't get over that. They can't accept that people in Africa are the same kind of people as us. They've got brains on their heads. And if you leave them alone and let them deal with their problems the way they're, they know how to deal with it, they'll eventually find their path to success. Because that's one of the things that happened in Africa during sort of like the 19, like the Cold War, like the 60s yes. and 70s, was you had a sort of rise of certain African dictatorships where they sort of tried to build these like big, glorious structures in this African revival. And they kind of failed, uh, especially in like Zaire, which is now the Congo, I believe. Uh, there's some good documentaries about with that. But uh, they, they, they failed. But the attempt the relics of that sort of uh, regime uh, still inspire people today and their country's kind of stabilized more. So again, Rwanda, which was a total nightmare in the early 90s, has really stabilized, started to grow. South Africa's still a garbage dump, but what can you do? Well, they have uh, a lot of political succeed. turmoil. But yeah, South Africa's yeah. deep doo-doo. They're, they're, they're in a yeah, lot, yeah. In a world of hurt. But you know what I'm saying? Is, is, is it, but if you, if you and I were to look at the problems of Africa, first off, we could acknowledge maybe we don't know what we're talking about. Maybe we're too far away from this. Uh, maybe we could also say, hey, I think the best thing we're going to do is we're going to try to make deals and agree with people there on their on the, you know, try to get the best terms for us, best terms for them and uh, work here like a man to man. But no, that's the for the liberal elite. No, no, no. All people are babies. But that's the problem. The liberal elite are the most racist, oh, yeah. disrespectful people there are. And they they but they they think they're the opposite. And they they're calling people like me racist i'm married to a hispanic a mexican man i got a mixed race thing yeah. i'm a female that's been in all sorts of you know i'm an engineer i'm in all sorts of different things and i'm the racist but i would say it's actually the opposite because i see them as i i just i try to see them as my equal and i i do the best i can i was raised in a different environment but i do the best i can yeah. to see them as my equal and to raise them up they see them as inferior and that they need to treat them like little children. And that's racism. That's very hard. And we need to point that out. We need to point out the, who the true racists are. Yeah, yeah. And it's uh, it's a matter of respect. Like, that's one of the things where the um, uh, wars uh, in the uh, Caucasus Mountains, when Russia was really weak in the 90s, and especially Chechnya, but to a degree, there was kind of war all over the place. Well, one of the reasons for that, behind it, was that the people there were so disgusted by Moscow by this atheist, materialistic Moscow of the Soviet mm -hmm. Union in early 90s. But later, some of the people in those conflicts, actually, I wrote a, a, an article by one of the guys who actually changed sides, uh, how he survived that, I don't know. But uh, he basically said that when he realized that, uh, two things. First off, he understood that Islam is more likely to thrive under Moscow than it is if they became part of the West. Uh, number because they would just sure. become liberals then. And number two, when Moscow and Russia started to actually respect itself again, they could feel like being a part of Russia. Another thing is I recently watched an interview where the Chinese basically, uh, th there's a big question of whether China might one day sort of uh, change its mind about Russia and maybe try to take over things here. And the guy, uh, the expert said, no, as long as Russia respects itself, the Chinese will respect it too. 
But yeah. the day we stop respecting ourselves, they'd be more than happy to take everything we have. And that's the same with everyone. And the liberals, the liberals they never do don't, that. Yeah. Because if in America... Keep going. This is great. You know, because I was going to say, because in America, when there was the whole you know civil rights movement, there could have been a moment, or to be honest, actually, after the end of slavery, there could have been a moment. There could have been a lot of moments, you know. But at some point, there could have been a moment where uh, the, the president of the United States or whoever basically said, guys, you're not part of Team America. Yeah. You're part of Team Anglo-Saxon. You've been with us for this long. We're now one entity, all right? But we, but you're you're part of our team. This is kind of how, how we play the rules. And Let's we're part of your team. Yeah. Rather than this whole thing of it's like, well, now you have equality, but you're going to be shoved over here in this ghetto, and, and everyone's different, and we're not allowed to enforce our culture, so we're going to look really weak and meek, so you hate us. Because that's another thing, growing up with black people uh, in America, is this uh, new sort of white American who's not, you know, not John Wayne, this, like, uh, what would you want to call him? Stuart Smalley. Virginal, simp, weak wrist. They, who wants to live with that kind of person? Who respects that person? They don't. Yeah. Whereas, uh, you know, the whole John Wayne, uh, gung-ho, we're, we're, we're the best, yeehaw, kind of, I don't know, Alex Jones kind of guy. Well, That's someone where we Alex can all Jones rally around. Alex Jones a little so, bit out there. But more just a... Well, I was thinking just, someone who's, who's hyper-masculine. No, hyper, just somebody who has maturity, who has confidence, who carries themselves with, with respect and respects others. And, and that's, to me, that's a mature, sexy man. And women who are like that well, too. That's a that's a bit of a that's a that's going into the, the the female desires. I was talking more and more from my perspective about the respect between men, but I I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. And but 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 I think men respect that too. At the end of the day, yeah, because they they exude confidence, and exuding confidence, whether you're male or female, is what people respect. Yeah, and they respect winners and being strong. And again, it's this a liberal philosophy that tries to tell men to be sort of weak and, and passive and all that, and it just creates the opposite problem. Because to be honest, when uh, men sort of look at other men and everyone feels that everyone else is strong and everyone else is a little bit uh, dangerous and threatening, in a lot of ways, that's when we can get along. Uh, men seem to, uh, again, tribal mentality, we seem to want to form this sort of peerage. And as long as we sort of all respect each other within this peerage, uh, that really uh, helps. And unfortunately, in America, we have been unable to create this sort of idea of this uh, multiracial uh, peerage. But I tell you, it work a lot better than what we're doing now. Well, just uh, it's, it's <laughs> you know? just respecting people. If you got to that point, you would forget yeah. about race. Oh, probably. Sometimes it's kind of hard because people look visually different. But, uh, but, but again, long term, you uh, would. You know, again, you would. If year after year after year after year of us respecting each other, you would eventually it stop being a big deal. Yeah, well, but eventually, but the thing is, uh, clothing helps as long as you all dress the same. That's one thing that helps. Of course, our language helps, and the less uh, sort of uh, obvious our accents yeah. are. If we could maybe maybe merge our accents down, that would definitely help. Uh, and everyone being sort of the same and having the same principles, because again, when we saw with the pro the Trump protests. Uh, you saw a lot of black people, black men, pro-family, pro-gun on the Trump side, and you saw plenty of, uh, I don't know what to call them, uh, rainbow-haired uh, white people, whatever they are, uh, on the side of the whole Black Lives Matter thing. In fact, I think they were the real engine of that to begin with. So it, so really, in a lot of ways, what is important, one thing that, that 
about Russian culture is that to determine whether you're Russian or not throughout history has been two questions. Do you believe in our idea, be it Eastern Orthodoxy, then communism, and now it's kind of vague what our idea is, but do you believe in it or not? And do you speak Russian? And if you answer yes to both of those questions, you are Russian. And I think that that's maybe the one thing uh, that America could learn from from Russia. So it would be basically, do you believe in the principles of the Constitution of the Founding Fathers? Yes. Do you speak English? Yes. Well, You're that, that's that can, right now. If you ask those questions, yeah. they would think you were a racist, and that's that's what. Yeah, yeah, of course, yes. of course, yeah, that's racist. Yeah, it's racist that we want to go beyond race to create unity uh, through having a similar mindset. Because I believe it's really our mentality that really creates our tribe. That's my personal opinion. I want to write a book about that one day, but uh, sadly, I don't have the time or the money because I gotta work. But uh, that's the real thing, and that's a real major solution to to, to racism. Is it's uh, you want to have the strong, overarching, but not enforced, not enforced, because I don't mean, you know, if someone disagrees with the Constitution, don't shoot them. Uh, but, you know, not an enforced mentality, but a promoted mentality yeah. uh, that really unites people. Because it can, because like we were just talking about, you can see a pro-Trump, pro-American rally with every race there standing side, side by side, same type of clothing, same type of mannerisms, maybe a little bit of an accent thing going on, but overall... One block united. Well, we just wanted everybody to be successful. Everybody can be part of the party. But, you know, I think um, he wanted a landslide and it was fixed here. And so that's part of our struggle, too. Mm -hmm. But let's talk about where people can learn more about you. We got to have you back at some point Uh, so we can keep learning about Russia because it really is an interesting there's way more to talk about, and I would like to eventually, you know, we, we need to understand, because you come from a, Russia and China, I really think the Bolsheviks, this is the globalist thing. They're trying to take over us. The globalists screwed up China and Russia, and, and both were trying to fight back, and they're now they're trying to do it to the mm-hmm. U.S., but I'm getting off track here. Where can people yeah. learn more about you? Where to find me? Uh, this, I'll put this way. The serious side of me, you want to look for on Rumble. Look for Tim Kirby Russia. So T-I-M-K-I-R-B-Y, Russia. All together are three separate words. Uh, that's uh, the program that I've been doing, which is, actually deals with all these issues of sort of uh, my interpretation of what's happening in Russia. And then we talked to a guest about that same topic. So we've covered uh, so far what? Feminism. And uh, we're going to get into taxation, uh, the whole Crimea issue. Uh, we're also on SoundCloud. So Rumble, SoundCloud. We're on YouTube for now, but we'll be banned soon, I'm sure. <laughs> so uh, it's called Tim Kirby Russia. The logo is uh, a black square with yellow and red letters. Uh, should be pretty recognizable there. So uh, it shouldn't be too hard to find. I can send you links if need be. But uh, is yeah. it in English or yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Uh, to be honest, a kind of a weird irony is um, my career has really shifted towards uh, working English. So uh, I write and do a podcast for an organization called the Strategic uh, Culture Foundation, strategic-culture.org. You can find me there. You can listen to the uh, podcast. It's a podcast called The Strategy Session. But my new project is called Tim Kirby Russia, and that's really getting into this deep dive uh, into the whole Russia thing comparing it to the West history-wise uh, in every episode. So that's the more, the most hardcore. But the Strategic Culture Foundation is a mostly, you know, geopolitics site. So it's pretty darn hardcore, too. 
Uh, that is the hardcore side of my personality. If you just want something more fun related to Russia, uh, I also do a lot of tourism, tourist videos and videos about how I remodeled my house. And that is called RTTT, R-T-T-T, that's three T's. And you can find that on YouTube. You will see my uh, big fat head on the uh, uh, circular icon. Well, I've heard that you're famous in Russia. You're pretty well known. Yeah, yeah. I would say I'm a C-list celebrity, B-list on a good day. <laughs> so oh, one thing that also, oh, it's over here. Hold on, let me go get, oh, oh, if I can get it. Uh, I'm also uh, a semi-pro American football player here. So. Uh, oh, wow. Congratulations for that. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know how I did it at 40 years old. Well, I guess it helps uh uh, because the league, uh, all the big teams in the league, uh, they all have a development team. So to be honest, I'm like third or fourth string tight end, which means uh, I play the minor league games. I'm old. I'm beat up. That's awesome, <laughs> So, But it's still nice shape. to get out there. Yeah. yeah. It's, oh, it sure does. Uh, I don't look it. Unfortunately, this camera has sort of a fisheye effect. It makes my head look huge and my shoulders look small. I'm actually a pretty big-shouldered, now muscular guy. Uh, but uh, the camera sure doesn't show it. But uh, anyways, uh, so yeah, so I do a lot of things. And uh, yeah, I am pretty famous uh, within uh, Russia. People know who I am. But I am definitely no um, no Brad Pitt. I'm not an A-lister. <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, that's, it's hard to be an A-lister as a journalist. I don't think it, you get there. Some people do. Uh, yeah. It doesn't work. And one thing, though, about Russia, too, is I'll put it this way. Uh, salaries aren't that great here. So uh, if anyone is going to say he did everything he did for the money, uh, kissing butt on CNN would pay a lot more, <laughs> six times, more, eight times more. So, yeah. Well, that's good. You do it for what for other reasons. So, yeah. good for you. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I think we learned a lot about Russia, and there's much more to learn about the difference in our countries because yeah. all we get is propaganda. It's all BS. So who knows? Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Thank you again. All right, talk to you later.